Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. Here we are at the Principles of Performance podcast. I am your host, Eric Degatti, along with my friend and co-host, Mike Perry, for episode number 82. Mike, welcome. We got a good one. Yeah, we do have a good one. I can't believe we're at 82 episodes. This is uh, this is crazy, but we've got a we've got a fantastic guest today, and I don't want to steal anybody's thunder, so I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce our guest, and uh, I'm looking forward to this one, man. So this this hits on a couple notes in that, number one, we have a lot of people that ask us, well, hey, I want to work with pro athletes. How, how do I do that? And this will give you a little bit of insight into uh, how to relate to some of the experiences that they have to go through. And then number two, as you know, Mike, we've been doing this a long time and there's certain people that you train and you have a connection with that are, that you're lucky enough to have a client and even more so they become your friend and they have a special place in your heart. And this guy definitely has that. And so let me give you a real brief intro, but then he's going to tell you his story in a minute. But uh, Giuseppe Rossi, okay, he's a recently retired professional soccer player. Uh, and even though he was born here in the U.S., right here in New Jersey, he spent most of his career in Europe uh, playing for clubs in England, Italy, Spain, including Manchester United, Villarreal, Fiorentina, as well as playing for one year in the MLS with uh, Real Salt Lake in the U.S. Uh, at the international level, uh, he represented Italy in the 2008 Summer Olympics and the 2009 FIFA Confer uh, Confederations Cup, and he's Italy's all-time scorer in the FIFA Confederations Cup. So now that he's retired, he's taking care of his daughter, and he's got another one on the way, and he's got his own podcast, which I was uh, lucky enough to be a guest on called Pepito's Take, as well as he runs his youth soccer development program, the Giuseppe Rossi Academy. And good to see you, my friend. How are you, Giuseppe? What's up, Eric? How are you, Mike? How's everything, guys? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's kind of walk through your story, how you go from being a kid growing up here in New Jersey, and you end up playing professionally for one of the biggest soccer clubs in the world at the age of 17. Yeah, it was um, it was tough, man. It was tough because before that, I had to leave home at 12 years old, right? I had to leave Jersey. Um, it was uh, it was tough just because I had to leave my mother, I'd leave my sister, I had to leave my friends, I had to leave my whole entire uh, way of living, right? And uh, going into a culture, yes, Italy. I went to Italy at 12 years old. The culture is the same because I'm Italian. Uh, my family, you know, they were born in Italy. So they brought that culture back, you know, home here to New Jersey. Um, I was kind of accustomed to it, but it's just a different animal when you're living there, right? And, uh, you know, my parents, they were talking uh, in their dialect more than the proper, proper Italian, right? So I had to get used to learning the true Italian. Um, so school was very hard for me. School was very hard for me, but um, the soccer field, um, we say that it's an international language, right? So um, that's where I felt very, very comfortable. Even at 12 years old, I was able to showcase my ability. People gravitated towards me during uh, 
you know, during those sessions. So for those two or three hours at the field, um, it was my safe space. Uh, but then, you know, once I went home, I had to do my homework. My pops was there always helping me out. I had like three tutors. I was like, what the hell's going on here? I never had a tutor in my life. Um, so I had to, you know, I had to, I had, I had to get things going. I had to grow up kind of quick at 12 years old, fast forward five years. Um, I made, uh, I made the jump to, to being a professional. Um, I signed my first professional contract with Manchester United at 17 and, um, and the rest is history. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, when you think about that, first of all, the sacrifices that, that, you know, you have to make to get at this level that people don't understand. And then also like to be someplace else, uh, internationally and being thrown into that, at that level of a stage at 17, like Mike at 17, I could barely pass my Spanish class in high school, right. Let alone being, uh, thrown into that level. Now, let me ask you, Giuseppe, on a side yeah. note, is it, is, was it tough for you to pick up my Italian because it was so authentic, uh, when we would speak during sessions? I, I feel like I was looking at myself at 12 years old uh, when I was trying to communicate with my friends and teachers when I was hearing you talk to me in Italian. So um, thanks for those <laughs> thanks for those uh, for, for those horrible memories, uh, Eric. I appreciate it. The only thing I butchered more than Italian was my knowledge of soccer. Um, so so, it, so hey, is your yeah. uh, is your Italian the equivalent? Is your Italian like the Olive Garden of Italian? Is that what we're saying? Like at this point. <laughs> Uh, bite your, bite your tongue over there, Perry. Um, so <laughs> come on, I got I got to get my licks in when I can, man. <laughs> All right, so so you you mentioned you mentioned your dad. So talk yeah. about the impact of being a coach's son and how that not only impacted, um, you know your you know your lifestyle, but also just how you approach the game. Yeah, my, my dad was my first coach. Um, he's the one who gave me this love for the game. Right, um, being an immigrant from. From Italy, he came here when he was 16. His dream was to be a professional soccer player. Um, he was a very good player. Um, just that there wasn't a structure in the was in the 70s, late 60s, 70s, where um, where he could you know further his dream of being a soccer player. So uh, my grandfather told him, "Listen, you got to put money on the table, and uh, it's not going to be with soccer. So you know, get to work." So he went to so he uh, he was a he was an Italian teacher at Clifton High School. Um, but he also was the soccer coach for Clifton High School. And um, and yeah, I was around him always, every single training, every single game. Um, if I was being ball boy at five, six, seven years old, if it was me training with them at eight, nine, ten years old, um, my pops would come back from, you know, lunch and uh, he wouldn't even eat lunch. He would just always put the cones on the ground and I would be dribbling um, at two or three years old, you know, these cones. So it's like, it was always around me, right? So thanks to him, um, I got to know this game, right? Uh, sometimes there were some games at 2.30, at 3 o'clock, and um, I'm just getting home from school. I want to watch my cartoons, and my pops is yelling. He's like, the game is on. And I'm like, Man, I don't really want to watch it, but you know what? Let me go. So, you know, I was there always, always, always um, uh, present whenever there was the ball around. And that's how I learned the game. That's how I learned to love the game. That's when I wanted to imitate everything that I, that I saw. So um, having somebody like him in my life to help me understand uh, this love that I have for the game and then, you know, to continue to grow and, you know, get better at my, uh, at my, uh, at my craft. It was, uh, it was, it was just a blessing to have somebody, a mentor like my father, uh, 
um, in my in my you know young life, uh, so I could be the best that I could be at something that I love. Now, being the soccer expert that I am, um, I, I've really come to appreciate the culture of it that we we don't really wrap our heads around. I want to come back to later to talking about soccer in the U.S., but the difference is I always try to explain to people like if you walk down the street. Um, and you ask five people in the U.S., like, what's your favorite sport? One may not even watch sports. One may say football. One may say hockey. One may say basketball. You know, obviously with a bigger slant towards football, but nothing quite internationally matches what what happens with soccer to the level like, you know, I remember you telling me, like, if your dad's favorite team lost over the weekend, like, he might call in sick on Monday, right? 100%. Yep. My dad was a big AC Milan fan in Italy. They would play Sundays. They lose. My pops on Mondays would not go to work. Yeah. So for, for, you know, I think I'm a pretty big Yankees and Giants fan. I've never missed a day of work because they lost because at the <laughs> end of the day, they're not taking a day off from me. Listen, man, listen, uh, just to go back at that soccer, like you said, in Europe, it's literally like in your blood, man. It's something that they, it's something that they live, breathe, follow. Like it's, it's their life, right? It's literally their life. So, um, uh it is kind of foreign that that type of mentality when it comes to sports here in the US but um i um, i do encourage you to go watch a soccer game i told you eric to come watch me play but you were you were so busy doing your stuff and i totally understand but um <laughs> one day we will get out there but trust me man it's going to be it's going to be one hell of an experience Oh, well, we got the world. Uh, we got the World Cup final coming to Jersey. So there we go. Let's let's say. Yeah, but it's different. The World Cup is different, man. <laughs> they're there for you, Dagati. They're there. They're there for you. It's uh, it's funny you say that. So I I had a lot of friends that uh, played in the MLS early on, and I remember meeting uh Lionel Alvarez when he played for uh, the New England Revolution, and that guy was bigger than life because what people don't realize is that guy, you know, back home was was the man, and uh, just the way that the other players looked at him uh, of what he's accomplished and what that guy meant to his his country was crazy. I did. I never, like I knew, but I never really knew how important, you know, uh, you become as, as, as a professional athlete, you're almost like an ambassador for your country. And and there's a lot of responsibility that goes, that goes with that. I'm sure. Oh man, you kidding me? I mean, just take a look at Messi in this last world cup, right? I think you guys saw the celebrations that happened in Argentina. We just finished the super bowl. Um, you're seeing the craziness that's happening um, all over America, mainly in, in like Kansas City celebrations left and right, right? But when there's a team like Argentina that won the World Cup, which is the equivalent of the Super Bowl, man, like it's literally a 10 nothing game, the World Cup celebration to the Super Bowl celebration, right? And that's why, man, I, I wish there was this like this passion, this love for this game. Listen, it's still young, I guess, here in America. Um, but it's such, it's so beautiful, right? It's just so beautiful. Um, the way that these fans literally build up to each Sunday, getting ready for it. At, like, it's literally part of their schedule, right? Every Sunday, the, the, like the, the fans are going to go watch their favorite team play. It could be the first division, second division. It doesn't matter. It's just like that, like love and passion for that game. So I wish, I hope one day that it will get to that level here in America, even though it's very kind of clouded, right? With all these uh, sports, uh, the NFLs and the NBAs and the baseballs, but um, it'll get there. It'll get there. 
Yeah, I don't think we have the lineage per se, but I think we do have some sort of traditions. And I think more so, more so in the South with like Southern football, right? You see, there's a lot of places down in the South, Friday Night Lights, man. The, the whole oh, entire community yes. shuts down, right? You don't see that with football in New England, right? And, and and I would say the same thing, almost like in the South too. It's very, very common in church, right? A lot of, a lot of people, they shut their businesses yes. down on Sunday because everybody, the whole community goes to the church. And, and it's a... You know, I love the fact that people are getting together to celebrate something bigger, whether it's a sport, whether it's religion or whatever. But point being is I love the fact that people are getting together for something else and for a greater purpose. And and I wish I wish people from the U.S. understood that, but also had the patience to understand the beauty of a one nil game. Yes. And, 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 you know, like, uh, you know, I, I grew up playing soccer, I played in college, but I've also played, uh, I've also competed in jujitsu and they're both sports that if you understand the intricacies of the sport, it's beautiful to watch. But if you don't, you're like, why aren't more people getting knocked out and why aren't there more slam dunks and goals? And I think it's the impatience of the U S that is one of the reasons why they don't embrace soccer, in my opinion. Yes, that, and also I'm going to add this word ignorance too, and I'll tell you why. So think about it, right? A football game. This past Super Bowl, what was the score? In my eyes, it was I'm gonna I'm gonna say three to two, right? But in football, some genius invented that each touchdown is seven points, correct? So it's not one goal, it's seven points, right? It's not one point, it's seven points, right? So in soccer, if a game finishes three zero, right? And instead of saying three zero, we say, well, let, let's say three one, three one. We say 21-7, hey, maybe some people will start coming in, right? So it's just like that perspective of these numbers, right? Where it's like, oh, wow, it's so little, like 2-1, 3-1, 3-2, instead of saying 25-22, right? So um, I feel like there's also that component there, right? Where like these people, like you said, right, understand the game. It takes time to, to understand the game, the like the beauty of it, where it's not only about scoring the goals, but, you know, certain movements, how to how to create certain situations on the field, how to get out of certain situations on the field, beautiful technical ability to get out of uh, situations or to create something nice, right? Um, find, you know, find the uh, find the time to learn it, find the time to, um, you know, embrace it because, you know, this is it's soccer, man. It's like a world sport. It's just not, it's not like pickleball that just came out, you know, this year. Um, so, um, so yeah, I hope that, you know, this, Sport continues to grow. It continues to grow the right way. And people start opening up their eyes. And I don't want to hear Pat McAfee on ESPN two days ago saying, oh, soccer is a boring sport. I wanted to go through the through uh, through that like TV and um, and slap them because it's like, hey, like soccer is, is, is called a beautiful game for a reason, my friend. Do your uh, uh, do your study and learn. Yeah, no, absolutely. So we're going to change gears a little bit. Um, how did you get the nickname Pepito? Pepito, Pepito, yeah. So that's my nickname in Italy. Um, there was a coach in the nineteen uh, who won the 1982 World Cup in Italy. His name is Enzo Berzot. And uh, on that team, there was a player called Paolo Rossi. His nickname was Pablito. And um, we have similar ways of playing, according to him. We had similar ways of playing. So he was on TV in, I don't know, whatever, what year, 20, 2005, uh, 6, 7. And uh, he was talking about me. He called me Pepito for that reason. And it's just stuck there since day one. So everybody in Italy, if you go around, Giuseppe Rossi, who? Pepito Rossi. Oh, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, that's uh, that, That's how Pepito Rossi uh, came about. Very good. All right. little follow-up. So what would you consider 
the high point or the most memorable moment of your career? If you had to pick one thing, what would it be? The highest point is definitely my debut um, with Manchester United. I feel like uh, that was basically um, a culmination of all of all the sacrifices that my that my family made, um, you know, that I've made up to that point uh, to where it was like, you know what, everything that we did up to here is served a purpose. Right. We're here. Um, but we realized that it wasn't, um, you know, a destination uh, point, but it was just a point. Um, it, it was just a starting point. Correct. Um, but we kind of like, you know, sat down and we kind of like, you know, thought about the journey leading up to that um, and how we have so much more work to do. But sometimes it's good to celebrate these victories uh, with, with your family. And um, there's nothing better when you have your family around you that's proud of you and that they're happy. All right. So I don't be the guy to throw the wet blanket on, on, on a special moment, but you know, you had me on your podcast and it was myself and Luke Bongiorno who we've had on, on our show, who was your PT for many years. And we talked about the injuries that you've had along your career and how they impacted you and how they impacted your career. So kind of talk a little bit about how you're able to overcome them and, and kind of keep coming back. Yeah. Injuries. Listen, there, there's, there's certain things that uh, you can't avoid, right? Um, obviously, um, if I knew a lot of the things that I knew today before, uh, maybe a couple of things I could have avoided. Right. But, um, I didn't have, uh, you know, the right people around me, the right mentors around me to teach me certain things like, like you, Eric, um, like a Luke Bongiorno. Um, unfortunately I met you guys towards the end of my career, but having injuries, man, it's a, it's, it's a pain in the butt. Um, it's a pain in the butt because uh, those are very sad, um, negative moments in life, right? Uh, because they kind of uh, steer you away from your dream, right? Um, I was living my dream. That's great. But, uh, you know, in, in the dream, I feel like you can never be satisfied. And that was kind of my mentality that um, I was never satisfied with with the, with the things that I was doing. I continue, I wanted to continue to get better and better. But injuries kind of prevent that, right? Because they kind of push you back. And um, how do you react to these, to these bad moments, right? Um, I think that's the key point. That's, that's, that's the key point. Some people get lost. Some, uh, some people, they just like to play victim um, of the situation. Um, but I'm somebody who always wanted to uh, keep the dream alive. And uh, there's nothing more important than the dream, right? So that was my that, 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 that was my, you know, uh, just my mindset, all the sacrifices my family did. I can't give up now. It's not, it's not in me to do that, right? Um, who am I uh, to give up on something that we all worked on, right? That's just a very selfish way of thinking. So um, I kept it alive by, you know, day by day process. I've had eight surgeries in my career, um, all knee related. So uh, those, those took a long time, right, to get by. Um, seven, eight months, a year and a half, one time it took me to get back. So um, Eric, you know very well, um, you know, uh, my mindset, how it is, it's just like a day, it's just a day thing, right? It's getting better a little bit day by day by day, not looking too far forward, uh, but celebrating those little tiny victories each and every day. Um, and that's the right mindset, I believe, that somebody should have when they have these bad, uh, these bad moments in their career.
So let's go a little deeper into the mindset of this. And, and we've talked about this a lot. We've had a lot of conversations about this because I know it can take uh, you to some dark places. You go from being this, you know, superhero to now you you start to feel a little bit less invincible. And then, uh, you know, as one pro athlete told me, you know, they love you until they don't love you anymore. And so then, you know, now all of a sudden, everybody that was, was patting you on the back now all of a sudden is not there when you're in the training room by yourself and you're doing that rehab. And then, and then the outside perception slaps you with labels like, oh, he's injury prone. Like how does an athlete have to deal, have the strength and, and the, the courage to kind of go through that and, and keep redefining themselves so they can, can come back again and again. So what I, what I learned a lot through this process of being, injured and being in a lone, you know, lone state, um, having the people that once were around me, not around me anymore. I kind of just realized that I have to control what I could control. Right. And what I, when, what I could control is that my, is my day to day approach to the work that I have to do to get back to being a certain level. Right. Um, I have to be good with myself first. Right? I can't start thinking about what other people start saying. I can't start thinking about what the media says, injury prone, uh, crystal, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, I try to um, I tried to keep those distractions away because those those distractions created even more roadblocks, correct um, up here. So um, I continue to maintain that right focus um, to to get past, the everyday hurdles, right? Why am I going to continue putting on more and more pressure, more and more hurdles uh, during the day um, by thinking of all this external stuff rather than just staying focused on what is the task in hand, right? And control my approach, my way of doing things, uh, my effort. Um, you know, that's basically uh, how I how I was able to control all this external extra pressure um, and getting back to being the guy that I was. And then something you also talked about quite a bit. And as you could tell, even from just up until this part of the conversation is of having a system around you of support, uh, with your first line being your family that you're very, very tight with that have been there with you through thick and thin every step of the way. And then also then that second level of support of people that are, that have your best interest at heart, uh, kind of talk a little bit about having that support system around you. Yeah, listen, nothing is done alone, right? Um, I was just hearing something that Tom Brady said during his Hall of Fame, not his Hall of Fame, uh, he was at Foxborough talking to all Foxborough, and he's saying that nothing is done alone, um, it's, uh, but it's all about the team, right? And um, during those time, during those uh, tough moments, I did have the right team around me, right? My family was there to be my emotional support system, which was something that I needed big time. And then I needed the likes of you, Eric, I needed the likes of Luke, the physical therapy uh, part um, where um, I had the right guidance, right? Um, yes, we are athletes, but we don't know the in and outs of, you know, uh, the gym regime or how do we uh, come back from these certain injuries, right? Uh, people think that just because I played and I was, you know, I got injured and I was in the gym a lot. They all think, yeah, you know, all this stuff. Said, I mean, I do, but like, I really don't, right? Um, that's why it's important to have the right people around you. And I was lucky enough to, um, have had you and Luke, um, during, you know, my last injuries, um, 
you need that guidance, man. You need that guidance. You need that right person to put you in the right uh, space, not only physically, but also mentally. Right. And I think that's, that's something that you guys, you, um, Eric specifically, um, with, um, was able to do, you would, whatever, we would dialogue, you would see my body, you would be like asking me questions in the beginning of training. And then, yeah, you had a certain game plan, but you know, maybe there was like certain tweaks that had to be done, uh, because of the state of mind, because of the fatigue levels or, or, or whatever it was. Right. And that's the sign of somebody that gets it. That's a sign of somebody that like understands the 360 degrees, um, uh, way of getting a player out of you know uh these injury situations i've had i think i told you eric i had uh my first injury in spain and um it it was what was it yes it was an acl obviously i'm not kidding the first five and a half months man every single day was eight hours in the gym eight hours in the damn gym right four hours in the morning had lunch four hours in the afternoon i'm not kidding it was same the same thing every single time same thing every single time every single time whatever, like, the, like all these exercise were, it was the same stuff over and over and over. And now that I think about it, I'm like, are you freaking kidding me, man? Like these people put me through that crap. They put me through that crap. And then guess what? After five and a half months, I tore my ACL in training again. So like, like, that's why I said before, man, I wish the things that I knew today, um, I could go back and do it. Or I, I hoped that I found an Eric Degatti, um, when I was 20, what was that? 24 years old. Right. Um, so that's why I, I, I really like, I really appreciated the way that you went through your work with me, um, how it was important, the connection, like you said in the intro, right? The connection that we had among human beings first and then trainer player. Um, for me, that is very, very important uh, because it made me want to come into, um, you know, the sessions ready to go, even though I came in late, I'm sorry. Remember that uh, Route 3 traffic, what was it? No, Route 46 traffic is horrible. Um, but yeah, it made me want to come in and be like, yeah, you know what? Um, I'm going to do work. Like, I'm going to continue to uh, do my work today. Hey, everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guests every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again, and let's get back to the show. Now we're going to circle back to, to the efficiency thing and, and how you wasted a lot of time uh, in that story in a minute. Um, and when it comes down to, to knowing a lot about exercise, I don't know if you know this, Giuseppe, but they actually have degrees now in exercise science that you can take in school. Um, did you know that? What is that? <laughs> Mike, I'm going to tell you a quick story as a sidebar. One of the greatest insults I've ever gotten that I still love to this day is uh, as a, we're training one day and, you know, he turns to me and he says, wow, he goes, he goes, you know, a lot of this stuff. He goes, what did you study in school? And I said, oh, I, I, I got my degree in exercise science. And he turned to me and goes, that's a, that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it took our whole profession and, and put it right to a nutshell. It's perfect. And that's where we connected. <laughs> uh, that was it. That was the moment of the moment of honesty that brought you both together. You're, you're like, you're like, really, dude, I just, I spent all this money for you to go. It's a thing. <laughs> oh, uh, I love it. The Gotti, anything else you want to hit before we move on or no? No, you got the next one. All right. Let's talk about Kobe Bryant. You're a huge fan of Kobe. Why? What's oh the connection? My God, man. 
That's my guy. I mean, listen, all the stuff that I've been saying mentality-wise, how I get past situations or whatnot, I got a lot also from him, right? Just reading the way that, just reading his uh, his stuff and just listening to his interviews and his um, and his uh, outlook on life and, um, you know, when he was playing. Uh, this guy, the, his approach, right? His approach was just second to none. Um, I love the way he went about things, right? Old school mentality. It's all about the work. Right. It's all about uh, the grind. It's all about the sacrifice. Um, that's what I loved about him. Right. A lot of these people feel feel very entitled uh, people. I mean, uh, these athletes say they feel very entitled. Right. Uh, they think about first. Yeah. Let me make my money and then I'll and then I'll try hard or whatever. Right. Uh, no. For him, it was about earning it for him. It was about, you know, he had everything in the world. He could he could have he could have had anything he want. He could have done whatever he want. But no, it was all about that dream, right? That dream to being the best player that he could be. And, um, and he did. So that's, that's where I connected mostly. I, I love him as a player. Obviously I love him as a player, great player and whatnot, but it was just up here, man. The, uh, that mental approach to training, the seriousness that he took, uh, each training session, how he said that the training part was the hard part and the Sundays or the games was the easy part. And I kind of like, I kind of use that, um, uh, I use that type of approach to training and games uh, during uh, during my career. And yeah, man, I love him for that. It doesn't hurt that he's an Italian soccer guy at heart too. That's true too. He loves soccer. Um, he's, he speaks Italian. Great. He lived in Italy for like seven years or something like that. So uh, that's just an extra bonus. All right. So let's talk about hard work. And, and I remember distinctly, you know, when we had this conversation, when you had kind of that epiphany to be like, man, I can't believe how many hours I used to waste in my rehab. And it, and it didn't really get me anywhere where we would do a 45 minute session sometimes and come out significantly better on the other end of it. So talk about how you came to appreciate where better is better, not necessarily more is better. Yeah. I mean, listen, I was, uh, like I said before, um, I've had that crazy experience of being eight, nine hours in the gym for months and months and months. And, really nothing happened. Right. I thought I was, yeah, I thought I was like, you know, yeah, I'll be ready. Like in, in five months after this knee, after this knee, uh, this knee surgery. Yeah. yeah, I'm the man, I'm the man doing eight hours, but, um, it didn't happen. Right. It didn't happen. You guys know the science behind it. Um, that, um, it's really not about, um, how much you do, right. It's not the quantity, but it's the quality. And, um, I think that is your job, right. Eric and Mike, it's that, that's your job to uh, give me or make me feel like as if what I'm doing at the end of the day is serving me a purpose, right? And uh, because some people could be like, oh, I, I only worked an hour, right? Like there's some people that says, oh, you only train an hour? I thought you're a professional, you train an hour. I'm like, yeah, we train one hour on the field, but you don't understand the intensity levels, the quality that is being played for a whole entire hour, Right. Um, yeah, you have the kids say, yeah, but I train two or three hours. I'm like, well, don't think uh, like that. That's how I'm correlating. Right. I know that uh, short periods of training outdoors is so much better than being two, two and a half hours outdoors. Right. So now in your world, um, it's the same exact thing. Right. And, um, it's important to have the right person that is guiding you through this. Like it's giving you the right programs that is um, you know, make, that they're making sure that at the end of each day, those little tiny goals are being met. Um, and that's the sign of an average um, uh, PT 
um and then there's a and then that and then there's and then that's that's the difference between an average um athletic trainer and then um a very very great athletic trainer so um yeah there, there you go I, that that's how i learned it I, I learned it on my own skin unfortunately um but i could correlate it very well to the time spent on the field playing all right so before mike shifts gears i want to go one more thing about mindset and as you talked about i i unfortunately didn't get to you to more of the latter part of your career um, but as much as we talked about the mindset of injuries, put the, that to the side for a second, is as you get towards these, these latter parts of your career and you start to get older, there's different mindset things that you have to overcome and that you start to, to you start to set these ceilings for yourself that, you know, we would constantly talk about trying to break through and don't like get caught up in these false expectations that, oh, well, because I'm this age, I'm just going to expect less and, and, uh, how we actually got you to run some of your fastest times in your last year um, coming off of your last surgery. And so talk about how kind of removing those ceilings from a mindset perspective and and really just, you know, being able to 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 really find the best of yourself by not having not having these expectations that that are anything less than that. Yeah, you know what, you know, it's crazy that last year we um, I got back and uh, the coach. I even text you right after this, you know, this training session. I'm like, yo, Eric, the coach said that um, he saw me run so fast. And I went to see how fast I ran. It was like 31 kilometers an hour. I haven't done that in years, man. And I was psyched. I was like so happy. I'm like, I'm I'm off of my eighth surgery. I'm 35. I'm off of my eighth surgery on my knee. And I'm able to touch these certain, you know, um, levels of speed. And uh, I remember our training sessions um, at the park, um, you know, just you know, working on the basics and, uh, and getting the things right. Um, it just shows you that, you know, uh, there should never be a roof to anything that you do. Right. Um, never set any, any limits. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of inspiration for, you know, athletes, uh, the Tom Brady's, the, the LeBron James, all the, all these athletes that are able to do something, um, you know, past when people say they're prime. Right. Um, even though I think the prime doesn't really make any sense to me, but, uh, we'll just use the lingo that these people use today. Um, you know, you have in Tom Brady that did, you know, that did what he did. These are things that can't happen. I listen, there's a, there's John Luigi Buffon, the best goalkeeper in the world in the history of the game playing still at 45 at the highest levels. This was a few years ago. So there are these examples that, um, there should never be a roof on, uh, to anything that you do. Uh, don't set any limits. And, um, during that last year, uh, for me, it was, again, what was driving me, right? It's what is driving you. For me, it was always the dream, right? And um, I wanted to make sure that I was able to feel fit. I was able to hang around with the young ones and, um, you know, feel and have a presence on the field and um, and have my own destiny in my own hands, which is what, uh, which is what I did. And in order to do so, when I was training with you, when I was on the field, it was just it was just, I was just living my best life, right? I wasn't having anything, uh, any extra stress on me, man. I was just trying to live my best life, have fun with it while learning, right? Having fun while learning and that competitive spirit is always there. Um, so, uh, so yeah, man, that freedom, that freedom of just, that freedom of thought of just, you know, being present in a moment and just enjoying it, right? Really, that's what it was for me. So I'm going to sneak in one more. So 
there's there's other conversations that we've had that really kind of stand out. And I remember when we were coming back in that first field session back after uh, after this last surgery, when you come back from Italy, and, and I said, all right, so what are we looking to accomplish here? Like, what is the goal? And I remember you distinctly saying, I want to go out on my own shield. I want to go out on my own two feet in this game and do it my way. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that end their career in in carts and operating rooms and training rooms. So talk about the the gift of being able to do that. Yeah, that could have been me, definitely, man. And uh, you know what? There would have been many people that would have said, um, yeah, Giuseppe, after all your history of injuries, I understand. I understand why you're going out that way. But for me, that, that would have just been a sucker move, right? Um, I, that was never me. That was really never me giving up uh, that way, right? Uh, like, like, like I said, um, it was important for me to go out my way. Um, which is my favorite song, My Way, from Frank Sinatra. But um, but if you do listen to those words, man, that kind of, uh, it, it could kind of, um, you know, tell you the story of my thought process through, uh, through this last year. And I want to go out my way, man. Um, many people thought that I was done. Many people were, were saying, hey, you know what? Um, his injuries... Um, are going to make him retire. He should retire here. He should retire there. Um, I just wanted them to understand that um, I never give up. Uh, that uh, for me, uh, the dream is always bigger than any setback. And that's why I'm like, Eric, let's do this one. I was like, Eric, let's do this one last time, man. One last time. Let's uh, let's get out there and, um, and just prove him wrong. And that's what we did. And that's what we did. And um, I'm very proud of uh, what I've accomplished. I'm very proud of that process. And like I said, I couldn't have done it alone. Uh, thanks to you guys, you, Eric, Luke, and my family, um, we did it. So let me ask you this. So, uh, you know, I have been fortunate enough to work with, uh, you know, a fair amount of pro athletes. And there's a commonality of the best of the best. Um, one, there's a slight obsession. There's this slight obsession where you can't turn it off even when you need to or you want to. And I feel like that's a commonality with professional athletes. There's this almost like this low hum of always trying to think about ways to get better. Um, so I think that's part of it. And I think there's also, I've seen there's a chip. There's this little bit of a chip that, you know, that's the like, oh, you're going to doubt me? Go ahead. It, yeah, good luck with that. And, um, you know, let me ask you this. Why, why do you feel like, you know, those two aspects are a common trait with professional athletes. You know what, man? I mean, I think those are the two things that can separate an average player from a great player, right? Um, because some people are just content. They're content to be in the league, in being a professional soccer player. Hey, mama, I made it. I'm 17. Manchester United, now I'm coasting, right? Um, but, um, like you said, that little obsession of always trying to get better and during your career, there's moments, there's uh, certain, you know, little setbacks. I'm not going to say injuries, but little setbacks, maybe the coach is yelling at you, or maybe the coach is benching you or whatever it is. Um, these certain little things happen and more than anything, it's how do you react to those little, uh, to those, uh, little setbacks. And that's, what's going to define you, de define you as a player. Um, are you the one that is going to take your head on and um, have that chip on your shoulder to be like, I'm going to prove coach wrong? Or are you going to go in that defense mechanism, play victim and, um, you know, just be content and uh, coast, correct? And um, 
I was I was the one who always wanted to prove everybody wrong personally. Um, I learned that because that's my father's character. Um, since day one, I always wanted to prove my father wrong, right? At 12 years old, we left. I didn't really want to leave, but I wanted to prove my dad wrong. I'm like, you know what, Pops? I will uh, succeed, right? Um, so that was always there with me since day one. And then listening to Kobe Bryant, looking at, you know, Tom Brady's stories, right? So these are things that used to always get me going. Um, but yeah, man, I feel like, I feel like that, that is what sets apart the best from the best to the average um, athlete. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that. So uh, we're going to go back to soccer. So, you know, you get some strong opinions on how the game is approached here in the U S and you know, how it's approached sort of in Europe, South America, what would you say are the main, main differences? I know we talked about it a little bit earlier, but if you had to summarize like the key differences for people that really don't understand the sport and the culture, what would those be? You know what? I feel like it's just the knowledge, the knowledge of the game. And, And when I say knowledge, it's not it's not about the average fan that is watching the game because there's a lot of fans that watch baseball, basketball and whatnot and don't understand the game. And I'm one of them. I don't know nothing about baseball, but I love the Yankees. Right. Um, Eric taught me a lot about baseball during these past years. Um, but uh, it's just that knowledge that these coaches, these coaches teaching the game to the two to the young players. I feel like that's where it all starts. Um, you have. Uh, you have the youth today that are being taught the game uh, not in the right way, right? Not in the right vision. And uh, I think that's where it kind of all starts, right? These like the fundamental uh, things of the game. Do these coaches really like love the game to really put, you know, effort into what they're trying to teach? Or are they just, or are they, like I said, just coasting and, um, you know, just collecting their paycheck at the end of the month? Uh, because they have two or three jobs and um, and uh, not really giving their 100% to teach these young kids what it is um, that the game demands and what the game is about. So I feel like that is a huge, um, huge starting point um, here in America on how we could um, create a certain culture of people that do understand the game, uh, that are able to excel in the game that they're that they're uh, that they're playing at. Um, and then, you know, it's just, a it's just like a trickle down effect where, uh, people, you know, there's more talent, there's more players, better product on in, um, at the MLS level, better product on the national team level, players playing all over. So I feel like that's really where it all starts from, um, in Europe there, they take a lot of, uh, they take a lot of pride, uh, when they're coaching the game, just because it's, you know, soccer is them, like soccer is part of their life. And, um, any way possible to be um, a part of that life, even if it's just coaching young kids, they're gonna they're gonna take it seriously, and pretend that they're like the best trainers in the whole entire world. Um, and um, and 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 I think that's the main part. All right, so I'm gonna look at this from two angles, top down. I always remember you telling me like the difference, you know, playing in the MLS versus playing over in Europe is like every game meant so much, not only to the community and the culture and the country, but to everybody in the room. Like you said, like, if you lost the game next week, I always remember you said we had pepper in our ass. Like you went out there because the stakes were high, not only because you had all these people counting on you, but also the fact that you could get relegated, you could get sent down a level. So for people here to wrap their head around it, like the Oakland A's in baseball are, are atrocious. 
Now imagine if they were that bad and they had to get sent to the minor leagues and they ended up having to play like the Trenton Thunder and, the, and like teams like that. Like that's, that's a whole different thing. Like that's everybody's paychecks, status, visibility, all that stuff would change dramatically if those kind of stakes were on the line and they wouldn't just show up, collect their paychecks and lose a hundred games a year. So at the top level, there's, there's a lot more stakes involved, but then going at the youth level, right. And the development of youth athletes is something we've had lengthy conversations about you and I, and talk about now that you have your own Academy, how you're looking to kind of change that current model and kind of make your Academy unique. Yeah. So what, what I'm trying to do is just trying to, um, you know, bring my experiences all together, the knowledge that I've, uh, uh, that, that I've captured throughout, you know, these 20 years of being a professional player in Europe and bring it back home and sharing it with people and um, teaching the game the only way that I know how, uh, teaching the way that I was taught from my father to my coaches um, in Europe. And, um, you know, I, I'm obviously going to say that the formula is the right formula just because of, um, of what um, I saw and how, how um, I, you know, how I, how I experienced this game. Um, it's foreign. It's very foreign to a lot of kids. It's very foreign to a lot of kids and to parents. Um, but it's up to them to under to to understand it. It's up to them to see if that's you know if that's something that they want to continue doing. Only because um, I only know that way. I only know that way. I know how to develop a player, the fundamentals of the game, teaching them the right ways. That's how I know how how to go about it. And um, if it's different from everybody else's, maybe it is, um, but I don't really care, right? Because I know that the way that I'm doing things, the way that I approach this, these, these trainings and prepare my training sessions um, are very similar to the way that things are done and played back in Europe, uh, methods that everybody uses, um, you know, back there. Um, so... Um, I hope that they understand it. I hope they see that um, it is something different, and I want I want them to tap into their into their curiosity more than anything, um, and you know uh, see that there's different way that there's a different way that this game should be going, and hopefully you know I could be one of the first ones or be one of the few. Let's put it that way uh, that are going towards the right directions in developing these players. So, all right. So tell us what you're working on now and, and both in your academy and with the podcast. What do we got coming up in the next year? Yeah, listen, man. So uh, recently retired, five, six months, trying to see what sticks, man. I'm throwing things on the wall, seeing what's the, seeing what what is the thing that, you know, stays and that I like. Uh, do I like the podcast life? Maybe. Um, I've done, I guess, 10 to 12 episodes so far. Um, certain ones were fun, certain ones I'm trying to figure out, you know, certain topics that I have to do. Um, but it's fun when, when I do have the guests on, I had, like I said, I had Eric, I've had a couple of, you know, players and, uh, agents on. So that was fun. Um, let's see how that goes. Um, I don't know how the hell you guys did 82. That's, that's, that's amazing. Um, I have, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be recording mine tomorrow and I, and I don't know the topics that I have to like do just because it's like, all right, man, like how much is there to talk about, you know, soccer wise. So uh, figuring that out, uh, the Academy part um, is the best just because I'm, uh, I'm on the field every day with the kids. 
Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm challenging these kids. Um, I'm making them understand, Hey, you know, uh, th th this is real, but we're not just going through motion and I'm not here to be a babysitter, but I'm here to get you to certain levels. Right. And I think there's, I think all the kids that I have, they do appreciate it. I see it and, um, it, it's fun and it's a lot of fun. And that's what makes me stay close to the game because that was my number my number three love. My first was my mother, then my father, and then, uh, and then the game. All right. So this has been awesome. And this is why I've been wanting to do this for a while, because I want to get for the, as I said, in the beginning, the coaches and trainers who, who want to work pro athletes to see that the human side of things and, and to get a better appreciation of that. And the only thing that they're not going to get the appreciation of, of kind of a, uh, fly on the wall of what it's like to be in, in an actual session with, with working someone at, at this level is that in this, we've been pretty much talking shot for 99% of this conversation, but if it was an actual session, and you'll appreciate this, Perry, about 80% of the conversation is about food. And whether it's my love for linguine with clam sauce or my recipe for pizza rustica or whatever it may be, I, I think 20% of my talk, like everybody thinks, oh, you're working with a pro. You must be talking about like Q angles and talking about dorsiflexion and rate of force production. And it's like, no, I'm talking about like, what's the imported olive oil that you get again? Because I've been doing the olivastro and I'm thinking of changing. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I can confirm, Mike, that those have been uh, a big part of our conversations during our sessions, cannolis. Um... Oh, trust me. I trust me. I you. I know you're not lying because I've I've uh, I've known Eric for gosh coming up to ten years, and uh, every city we've ever taught in, he's got a guy, whatever that means, and uh, we always find cannolis. So that's all I know. I mean, all I know is you know if he he starts to recommend like a, a cement shoe factory or something that we invest in, then I'm going to be a little worried. So we'll see how it goes. That was actually how Perry and I bonded. We were we were having dinner one night, and, he's, and early on when we first met, and he's like, "You know, I don't think I've ever spent a night with you where it hasn't ended with a cannoli." <laughs> yeah, that's it. All right. Well, this has been awesome, Giuseppe. Appreciate your time as always. Thank you, uh, Mr. Perry. Another good one in the books. Absolutely, um, man. Yeah, great one. All right. Thank you again for your time, brother. Love you, and uh, thank you it, for thank listening. You and this has been the Principles of Performance podcast. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. For more information on the Principles of Program Design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogramdesign.com or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.